Uh, We'll be starting in verse 15. Luke chapter 2, verse 15. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, Let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. And when eight days was completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the, given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, was completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was, ju- was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it, and it had been revealed to him that the, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when, and when, the, parents, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to, to, do, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared before the face of all the peoples, a light to bring the revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his Mary mother, mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phineo, of the tribe of Asher. She was of, of great age and had lived with the husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years, who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke spoke of him to all who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for today, Lord God. We thank you that we can come and worship. That, Lord God, that we can come and build one another up in your truth, your word, Lord God, and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord God, as we read through this passage and we saw this man, Simeon, Lord God, as you told him he would see uh, the Messiah, that he would see the Christ, and he saw and he glorified you, Lord God. Father, I pray that we look, and and as Simeon looked ahead, his expectation in his life to see the Messiah, Lord God, We too, Lord God, I pray that we look forward with expectation to when we see you, to see our master, to see our king face to face in that day, Lord God. In that day when we we put off the old and the new, Lord God, our bodies, we receive our glorified bodies, Lord God, when we receive you. 
all of this is gone, Lord God. The old is gone. But Lord God, even in looking forward to that day with expectation, I pray that we live our lives with expectation, Lord God, that you're coming soon. Soon, Lord God. But in that hope of when you return, Lord God, that we be found um, doing your business, doing what you've called us to do, Lord God, being disciples of Jesus Christ, desiring you more than anything else that this world could ever offer because you are greater than all that this world can ever offer, Lord God. I pray that our hearts will be devoted to you, Lord God, seeking you, desiring you every day. Lord God, that when I wake up today, no matter the trials and the the sufferings and the pains that I'm going through today, Lord God, that I look to you and say, my hope rests in you, Lord God, and I will press on. I will press on because you are my strength. You are my rock. You are my fortress. And God, when it gets hard and when we are in that low and we are in that pit, Lord God, that we reach our hand out, Lord God, and if we need to repent, that Lord God, we repent. And we say, Father, forgive me. Forgive me, Lord God, for what I've done. That, Lord God, that you are the one that was redeemed me. You are the one that has set me free, Lord God. And that you, when we reach out, you will grab a hold and you will pull us out and you will embrace us because you love us. And, Lord God, I pray that we walk in that heart that we are loved. That you love us. And we shouldn't be, Lord God. You do. We don't deserve your love, but you love us because of who you are. Lord God, and we revere you and honor you with all glory, Lord God, and worship that you are worthy. Lord God, I pray that as Jackie goes into the word today, that Lord God, that the Holy Spirit will lead and guide his words. That your words, your word is truth, Lord God, and that we hear the truth. And Lord God, that it sets free God, for what your word was sent to do, it will accomplish what it was sent to do. I pray that the ears that are hearing today that need to receive you, that it will penetrate to the depths of their heart, Lord God. That as hard as a heart is, you can turn it to flesh, Lord God. A heart of stone to flesh, Lord God. And that you break through. You are the only one, Lord God. I pray that if there are things that are holding people up, that are hang-ups in their lives, Lord God. That you will break through the barriers, Lord God, of those things that are holding on to them. That you are greater than these things, Lord God. That we will give ourselves wholly to you, Lord God. Devoted. That, Lord God, if we want the, the leaders of this nation to change, we have to change, Lord God, in our hearts. Lord God, that we be not compromising. That we stand firm on your truth, on your word, uncompromising, Lord God. And that we do not be like Israel, Lord God. And we read in Isaiah and Ezekiel that judgment came because, Lord God, you said, I don't want you to keep walking this way. That, Lord God, you said judgment begins with the church. In the church, in your church, Lord God, that we turn from our ways, Lord God. That we seek your face, Lord God. That we want to live for you, walk with you, live it out, live your word. Not just talk about it, but live it, Lord God. And I repent, Lord God, for me not living it out. Lord God, myself, I can, I can put myself right in there with everybody else. Lord God, that we repent, Lord God. You hear us. You hear us, Lord God, when we repent and you receive us, Lord God. And Lord God, it is your power that is working in us. It is us, Lord God. It is the church who has to be the light in this dark world, Lord God. The leaders can only do so much, but your church is where the power lies because you are the head. You are the head, Lord God. I give you praise. I give you glory that you are worthy of all of it. In Jesus' name, amen.
This morning we have a, an opportunity to hopefully grow in our understanding and comprehension of what it is to glorify God. What it is to glorify God. And as we look at this text, there's, there's four examples that we're going to see working our way through. So I invite you to join together with me. The first example is the shepherds. How did the shepherds glorify God? <clears throat> we see that the shepherds glorify God by their witness. By their witness, what they did with what God gave them. Let's look at it. Verse 15, when the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened that the Lord has made known to us. So the shepherds get the word from the angels. Granted, it's a pretty incredible thing to experience, right? Probably not many of us have, have had an uh, annunciation by, by angels laid out for us at the birth of a child. But what they do with the news, they want to go. They want to go and see what has taken place. Now, in, the, in, in Luke, we won't see it, but in Matthew... We hear the account of the wise men who came to Herod, right? A couple of years later after the birth of Christ, and they ask him, Hey, where's the king that's to be born? We're following his star, and uh, we know he's, he's come. Where is he? And King Herod asked for the scribes to come out, and he asked them, Where's the Messiah supposed to be born? And they say, Oh, he's, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. So they tell the wise men, Oh, he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. And then he asked the wise men, when you go see him, come back and tell me about it. Do you see the difference? One guys, one group of guys, the, the humble, the guys who don't think of themselves as very much, right? The lower echelon of society, the shepherd. They get the word and they want to go see. The king gets the word. It's, it's maybe a little less miraculous, but look, we, it's, it's our tradition that says three little wise men, right? <laughs> The Bible says when they came into Jerusalem, there was a great tumult. People were going, what in the world is going on? All these guys are coming in here. And they come up to the king and ask him, where's the king that's been born? If you're the king and somebody's telling you another king's been born, it seems like it might prick your curiosity anyway, no? But he couldn't be bothered. He couldn't be bothered. And it's a great example, guys, of, of how the Lord has come to the humble to the low, not to the ones that are self-exalting. That's why it is such a problem in the church when we're being driven by our pride. It's not about us. It's not about my way, my thinking. My It's about Him. And so the, the shepherds understanding this, they were moved, right? They had enthusiasm. They're like, hey, we want to see Him. Let's go. Let's go see what... Where this child is, I mean, they're somewhere in the fields. I know many of you guys haven't been to Jerusalem, but if you have, six miles away from Jerusalem is Bethlehem. Today, there's a wall around Bethlehem, so it's kind of hard to, to get the view, because it's, honestly, it looks more like a penitentiary than a city. But nonetheless, you, you come into Bethlehem, you go to the shepherd's fields, and it's a, it's a pretty large area. Okay, far as you can see, just fields and caves. Caves, stables, and fields. Still use it for, for shepherding today. And somewhere out in that field were the shepherds, right? Somewhere out. And uh, tradition holds that Mary and Joseph, because they came to Bethlehem to look for the inn, right? They're looking for a place to stay. So the stable that they're put in is close to the city. So there's a, a cave stable there that they, that they use. You know, they put a sign out and said, Mary and Joseph were here. 
<laughs> you guys. <clears throat> but a lot of times that's how things are in, in Israel, right? It's like, well, it's as good a place as any of the other caves, isn't it? So they go down in, the, in that cave and you can go down in there and have services and what have you. So it probably wasn't a super long journey for them. But they're like, okay, here's the sign that the angels told us there's a baby in one of these caves. Just got born. And it's the king. Perfect example, man. Christ is such an incredible example of humility. I really wish we could grasp that. One of the goals, we have a group that's meeting on Tuesdays now called the Round Table. Round Table is where we gather a bunch of men and women who are of different opinions. Anybody have a different opinion with somebody else? Okay, cool. So you're qualified to be a part of Roundtable. What we do at Roundtable is we'll pick a, a topic that, that has many sides, manifold, lots of ideas, lots of comprehension. The goal for us is to let the Word of God speak on the issue. What does the Word of God say? But you know, a lot of times people will come to the same facts and have a different outlook on how that should be applied in your life. Anybody ever seen that? Have you ever turned on the news? You turn on Fox News, are they, are they using different facts than CNN? Oh, they're, it's the same facts, the same truth, just a different application, right? This spin over here, that spin over there. Our goal is to try to stay as close to the Word and learn to express our differences and our different views in a way that helps us unite and not divide. Is it possible to be united though you have a different opinion about something? Well, you ought to be able to. The only thing we can't, uh, we can't be divided on are the essentials of the faith. And so the essentials of the faith we hold fast to. It. And by the way, those essentials are pretty clear in Scripture. But other things aren't as clear. So when we come to those things that aren't as clear, we need to learn to relate to one another, talk to one another, have differences of opinion with one another, and not be so filled with pride that our pride gets dinged. What happens when our pride gets dinged? You get mad, you get angry. How do we see the example of Christ? How did He come? Full of pride or humility? Did He come in a, in a posh mansion where everybody could say, wow, look at this guy? Or was He born in a cave stable? Most of us probably were not born in a cave. But that's the way Jesus came. And, the, and you have him giving the word. God hasn't spoke for 400 years. And so far, he spoke to probably a 15-year-old girl. A we-don't-know-how-old man who's going to be her husband. A really old guy who was pretty sure that God wasn't going to talk anymore and had a lot of tests and questions for the angel. And then after all of that, two shepherds. Not the higher guys, not the, not the high priests. It was not all the people you would think that God was going to speak to. Who did he come through? He came and spoke to the humble. Now, if that doesn't rattle our cage a little bit, it ought to. Because I don't know about you, but I still want to hear from the Lord today. Don't you? When I come to the Word of God, I want to be able to receive what the Word of God has to say, right? I want to be able to hear it. I don't want to come to the Word of God with a full cup. You guys know what I mean? If, you, if somebody's a full cup, you can't put nothing else in them. You ever try to teach somebody who already knows everything? That's a little bit of a struggle, right? Well, you, you don't think that God gets quiet then? 
You don't think when we come to the word with a full cup, God just waits for us to decide we don't know it all? We want to come to the word with humility. Being able to understand what these things are teaching us. Man, look at the glorified God. The shepherds glorified God. The shepherds, the least. Because they were willing to go, to, to make haste. Look what it says. They went with haste and found Mary. They didn't wait around. Man, they got the word. Let's go. Let's go see. They made haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. So they come up and they find it. Just like the angel said, there they are. There they are. Now, we don't know what they said, what they did. I don't know. I'm, I'm just going to guess they didn't have a lot to say. I'm going to guess for them it was enough to be in the cave stable. I'm going to guess for them it was enough to look at this child. Now, here's something I want you to grasp. Here's something I want you to understand. Those same shepherds who are going to leave with excitement and tell everyone who will listen that the Messiah has been born, they know something. You know what they know? For most of them, that baby's not going to change my life. I'm going to die. That baby's not going to come into his ministry for 33 years. Most of those shepherds are going to be 33 years before they see the Spirit of God moving through the Christ. The healings are going to come. The message, the gospel that's going to go forth. But they're so excited because He's here. They're excited because God is here. God is going to move. And even if He doesn't move in my time, He's going to move. Can that excite you enough to tell somebody about Jesus Christ? Or is it only if He's moving in your life right now. They saw. Here he is. The Christ has come. But they're going to see that movement happen later on. Much later in their lives. For some of them, maybe after they're gone. But they were still filled with excitement and wanted to glorify God. So they told everybody, the Christ has come. The Christ has come. The closest example we have for us today is the excitement that we can have about the return of Christ. Do you know that the Lord said that we should live every day looking for Him? Looking for Him. Not for us. That tends to be how we do it. Oh Lord, get me out of this mess. That tends to be how we look for the Lord. But the way they looked for the Lord was, was as the treasure. Their longing finally going to be with them. The longing and desire of their heart. He's going to be here. This is what the Word is calling us to. To glorify God with our enthusiasm. To tell others like they did. Verse 17, when they saw it, <clears throat> they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child. What does that mean? They told everybody who would listen. What did they tell them? Man, there's a baby born in a cave stable. Now, he's not there, but for a, maybe a day. As soon as possible, right? If you're the father of the Messiah, how long are you going to stay in the cave? Don't you think at some point, I don't know, maybe I just think like a guy. At some point I'd be thinking, you know, um, I can't be lazy, this is God's kid. Right? I'm in charge, this is God's kid, this is the son of God. Uh, my, we can't stay in the cave, we got to get a place. We got to be, we got to be, should we think any different of our own kids? Aren't our own kids God's kid? Shouldn't that be all of our hearts to provide? It's one of the interesting things. The Word of God says that a man who won't provide for his family is what? 
worse than an unbeliever. Well, the, the idea is even an unbeliever will take care of his family. We want to be those who are moved, desiring to take care of those who are around us. So they glorify God by their witness. What was the effect that their words had? Listen, verse 18, And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. So everybody who heard it is like blown away. Wow! Do you hear what the shepherds said? Yeah. What do you think about that? Is it, you think it's real? or I don't know, man. They were awful excited about it. They were pretty excited about what was going on. So there was a lot of pondering and wondering about this child in that area. Now, not too far from this moment, there's going to be a long-haired, bearded, crazy man eating locusts and honey going to start shouting at the people to repent. You start putting all those things together and you start thinking, man, something is really going on. Something is happening. Man, we've had 400 years of silence and now we see the movement of God. That, that really begins to stick out. So <clears throat> the people are filled with wonder, but I, don't, I want you to see the other one. But what did Mary do? Mary treasured these things in her heart. Now this is important for us because we're going to see as Mary goes on, the next example of glorifying God, we can glorify God in obedience. But what's the key to being able to be obedient to God? I think it's what Mary did right here. Man, when the good things are happening, when the exciting things are happening, what should we do with them? Treasure them. Hold on to those things. My wife and I had a, a, a book. We, we, have, we still have it. We just have moved so many times, we're not sure where it's at. <clears throat> but we have a book called the Yahweh Yireh, Jehovah Jireh. The Yahweh Yireh book, the God is my provider. And every time... We were praying about something or needed a miracle in our life or we're really looking for something. We'd put it in that book. For what purpose? So that the next time when we're getting uh, a little bit heavy hearted or next time we're starting to, to lose our unction, lose our excitement, we can go back and say, look at what God has done. But for most of us, we don't treasure those things. We have to learn to hold on to treasure those things because there's going to be 33 hard years for Mary. There's going to be a hard trek all the way to Egypt to keep her child safe. And then somewhere along the line, there's going to be the disappearance of Joseph. Somewhere between the return from Egypt to Nazareth and Jesus' beginning of his ministry, Joseph dies. That had to be hard, no? That had to be difficult because Mary doesn't just have Jesus. she got lots of kids to take care of now. So we have a single mom with, with all of her kids. That, that she, that's a hard life. There's all these promises and things that were going on that God had given her. But it was 33 years from the birth of the child to the beginning of the ministry. And the beginning was not <coughs> um, maybe all that Mary thought it was going to be. And the ending sure wasn't. I think the key to wanting to walk in obedience with God is to treasure up the things in our heart and to meditate on them, ponder them. Like an animal, like a, like a cow chews its cud. We want to spit up what the Word has given us, the promises that God has given us, and continue to squeeze the juice out of it. Squeeze the nutrients out of it. Continue to allow our body to be fed. Because the next thing that we see... Shepherds returning and glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen 
as it had been told them. So the shepherds glorifying and praising God. They bring glory to God as they witness. Then we look at the response of the parents. Glorifying God by their obedience. Remember, Mary pondered these things in her heart. Look what it says in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. So the first thing they do is, they don't argue about what to call him. They call him what the angel said. His name will be Yehoshua, or in Hebrew, Joshua, or in Greek, Jesus. So they name him Jesus at the end of eight days. So they, they followed what the law had said. The law said what? And on the eighth day, circumcise the boy. So the boy is going to be circumcised. We see him walking in obedience. How they named him, the fact that they circumcised him. But that's not all, guys. It goes on to say, verse 22, <clears throat> it says, uh, And when the time came for their purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. So he was circumcised on the eighth day, but he was presented on the fortieth. And there was a purification offering that needed to take place. Now, I know a lot of us struggle with the offerings and the uh, sacrificial system. Maybe we struggle with how Leviticus works. Uh, I kinda, I'm one of the weird guys who likes Leviticus, like to look at it, like to understand it, want to comprehend it. Here's most of our problem when we look at the sacrifices and the offerings in the Bible. We think they're all about sin. They're not all about sin. The vast majority of the sacrifices and offering is about purification. It's about making a statement to God. That statement is this. I'm going to really simplify it, okay? So, so for those of you who want more technical stuff, feel free to hit me up. But the simplified issue is what you're saying, what you're saying to God in those offerings, in the burnt offerings, in the sacrifices, is I am broken. Something's wrong with me. I'm not whole. Not necessarily a specific sin issue, just the reality that there's something wrong with me. And so I'm coming to you, God, and I'm asking you through this offering. An offering was something that you gave in totality. God got it all. A sacrifice was something you gave, and the priest ate some, and maybe you ate some. But all of those things signified coming to God saying, there's something different about me and you, God. I, I know you're greater. I know you're transcendent. I know you're holy. I know you're bigger. And so I'm coming to you with this sacrifice. I know this sacrifice is not opening the way. But it's a symbol of what that little child was going to do. Because what that little child does, what Jesus does is make the way. He says, I am the way. I'm the way. Everything else was an illustration. An illustration sometimes saying sin separates us. Sometimes saying I'm impure. Sometimes saying I'm imperfect. But all the while it was saying there's, there's something wrong with me and I need you. And so we want to stay focused on <clears throat> those realities. And so when the time for the purification came, they went to make these offerings. They brought them up to Jerusalem to present it for the Lord. Because it is written, this is out of Exodus, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens a womb shall be called holy 
to the Lord. That means every firstborn male child belonged to God. Belonged to God. So there was an offering, a sacrifice that was brought. And they came to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of turtle doves and two young pigeons. So we're going to read about this. We're going to take a quick moment to take a look at it. Flip over in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 12. This is where this offering is talked about so we can kind of understand what's going on. Jesus first, they circumcised him, they named him. Now they're going to present him. It's like a dedication. They're going to present him to the Lord. Why? Because he's a firstborn. And the firstborn gets presented to the Lord. And the offering, what's that all about? It's the offering of purification for Mary. It says in, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Leviticus 12.1, Speak to the people of Israel saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, she will be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. But on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin must be circumcised. Then she will continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She will not touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. If she bears a female child, will be unclean two weeks, as in her menstruation, and she will continue in the blood of her purifying 66 days. And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb, a year old for a burnt offering, and a pigeon, or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her, that she will be clean from the flow of her blood. That is the law of <clears throat> for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she will take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, the other a sin offering, and the priest will make atonement for her, and she shall be clean." Now here's the question. We look at it and we say, well, she's bringing one for a burnt offering. The burnt offering was a consecration offering. <laughs> it was an offering saying, I'm yours, God, I'm, I'm all yours. And so it was, it was like giving a housewarming gift when you went over to somebody's house. Only in this case, you're going to God's house. So when you came to God's house, the housewarming gift you brought was that initial burnt offering. It was saying, Lord, I'm all yours. I want to spend time with you. I know we're separated, we're different, so I'm bringing this to so that I can be spend time in your presence. <laughs> the second offering, <clears throat> in the ESV, New King James, I think uh, King James does in ASB, they, they define it as sin offering. It, it's really the purifying offering. It was the same thing. It was an offering saying, I am impure. Well, why, why was Mary impure? Is something wrong with childbearing? No. No, but she had lost all, a lot of fluids in giving birth to her child, and all those fluids represent life. And any time a fluid from our body representing life comes out of our body, we're impure until a certain amount of time has passed, and then we find ourselves whole again. The idea was there's something missing. Was not she's a sinner, she's wrong, there's something wrong with her. It was just saying... I'm not complete. And saying, I'm not complete, and looking for atonement, being made one with God, I'm looking for you to complete me. So God, I want you to complete my brokenness, so I'm bringing this little bird, this pigeon, this turtle dove, and I'm asking God that you make me whole. It was, it was we don't want to get all wrapped up, it's not a, some kind of scientific medical issue. 
It was just an idea to perpetuate the concept, the illustration, that there's something separating us from God. Whether it's our own purity, whether it's our own sin, whether it's uh, just an opportunity for us to spend time in God's presence. You and I have a hard time understanding that, because it's not that way today. Why? Because Jesus Christ made a way. But if He hadn't made the way, what do you think would give you the right to talk to the Father? What do you think would, that we could just cross that chasm between us and God on our own presumption? So God said, man, something's got to bridge the gap. And that's the child that's there with them. That's the child that's going to do that. So we see this dedication take place, okay? They come, they make this offering. What do we know from Leviticus 12 when we look at Mary and Joseph? They were poor. How do I know they were poor? Because it says if they're poor, they can bring two turtle doves and two pigeons. And that's what they brought, right? That's what they brought. So <laughs> we know they're, they're poor. They're not wealthy. You know the other way I know they're poor? Because he couldn't get a room at the inn. You think rich people have a hard time getting a room at the inn? When you and I go up to a hotel and we, we go, man, I need a place to stay, and they say it's full, do you think that works for everybody? Or do you think somewhere for enough money there's a room? Well, I don't know if you have experienced these things. <clears throat> do you know when we, buy, when we buy a plane ticket for us normal people, they sell too many, right? Because how many flights have you been on where they're begging people to get off? And I'm thinking, how hard is this? You know, if the plane holds 16 people, sell 16 tickets. Oh no, we're going to sell 32. And then we're going to pay people <laughs> to get off. Well, I don't want to get off. i got places to go. But do you think the people in first class have that same problem? Do you think they sell too many first class tickets? Wow, that's so shocking. So, so I know these guys. They were not of means. They were not of means. I understand they were poor. But here's what they did, guys. When In order to redeem the firstborn male child, <clears throat> you brought five shekels. And you gave five shekels to the temple. Now, did five shekels really accomplish anything? No. It's an illustration. What's the illustration? There's a redemption price that needs to be paid. There's a redemp- Everything was about understanding the moving of God. It was a memorial, ultimately, that said, I remember that God spared the firstborn of every Jewish child at the Exodus. I remember, I remember that, that God gave us a Passover. He passed over. So in my remembrance, I give five shekels. And that five shekels is a sign that says, I remember. We read about it in Numbers 18. Numbers 18, it says, Everything <coughs> that opens the womb of all flesh, whether man or beast, which they offer to the Lord, will be yours. Nevertheless, the firstborn of man you shall redeem, and the firstborn of unclean animals you shall redeem. And their redemption price, at a month old, you shall redeem them. You will fix at five shekels in silver, according to the shekel of the sanctuary, which is twenty geras. So what do I see them doing? This is what I see them doing. Mary treasured these things in her heart and walked in obedience. In obedience, what did she do? She circumcised her son, was according to the law. She held out and, and fulfilled the time of purification. She brought her burnt offering. She bought her purifying offering. She made that relationship right with the Lord. And she brought Jesus with her through it all to present the child 
to God. All of that stating, God, this, this little one is yours. He belongs to you. That's what we do a dedication for still today. When we dedicate a child, it's so that as we bring that child up, we're declaring to God, man, this, this child is yours, God. Move in their life. It's the same thing. So the next part of the story makes sense, guys, because as they're coming for the presentation, I think Simeon's one of the priests, he comes walking up to them. Here's what the priest would do. He'd see somebody come in to offer this offering, carrying a child. He'd know what they're doing. Oh, look, they're bringing the baby in. They're presenting him for the Lord. They're offering the offerings. And the priest would walk over, lay his hands on the child, and prophesy over him. What's the next thing you read? What's the next part of the story? Not only do we see the shepherds glorifying God by their witness, Mary and Joseph glorifying God by their obedience to what God's word said, but then we see Simeon. He glorifies God with his faith. With his faith. Look, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem (coughs) whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, (coughs) waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. So there he is, he's waiting. I think he's a priest, I can't prove it. Scripture doesn't tell us definitively. A lot of people think he's an old man, but nothing in the verse says he was old. Just says he wouldn't die until he saw the Christ. That doesn't necessitate that you have to be old. Okay? You can be young when you hear that as well. And so he sees them walking in. And as he sees them walking in, he's going to do something very interesting. Now, we want to see, how is he glorifying God by his faith? Well, we we recognize that, guys, in the very beginning. It says, this man was righteous and devout, in the next phrase, waiting for the consolation of Israel. Waiting for the peace of Israel. He's waiting for the king. He's waiting for the Messiah. In Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, it says, The Spirit of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, To give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that He may be glorified. Now, this section, Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, was the response or the consolation of Israel. It was the time, the moment when Messiah would come and wipe away their tears. That He would wipe away that time of mourning and and usher in a time for joy. So by faith, he's looking for Messiah. By faith, the first thing we see is waiting for the consolation of Israel. But the next thing we see is he's also got the Holy Spirit working in his life. Do you see how many times? In just a couple of verses, it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. that That he had been revealed by the Holy Spirit that he wouldn't die until he saw the Christ. And then he came in the Spirit to the temple. Three different times, three different phrases says he's functioning in the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is upon him. He's waiting for the peace 
of Jerusalem. He's waiting for the, con- the consular to come. He's waiting for the birth of Messiah. And he has this faith, this belief that he's going to see it. So there he is up there. Now this is not a, a, a time where only one person comes with a baby once in a while. You're talking about a big city. Jerusalem's a big city at this point. They've gone over to the temple. They're at Jerusalem. A lot of babies have been born. A lot of babies coming up, walking through, doing the same thing that they're doing. But Simeon, he sees something special about about this child. He sees something special about this couple who's coming up. And so, he brings a blessing on the child. And this blessing he brings demonstrates his faith. Look at it, verse 28. So he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Don't miss that. He took him up in his arms. He picks up the baby and he blesses God. He praises God. He thanks God. And he says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Man, that's pretty wild. Mary and Joseph walking in, have done their offering, presenting the child, paying the redemption price for this child. Here comes Simeon. He comes running up to him. That's not uncommon. A priest would come up to every one of them. He takes the child and he begins to prophesy over the child. But he looks up to the heavens and he praises God and he says, Lord, thank you. I can depart in peace. I can can die in peace because I know my eyes have seen your salvation. Man, it's a beautiful thing. A beautiful uh, thing is taking place. My eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, all nations, the goyim, the Gentiles are included, a light for revelation unto the Gentiles, and for glory to your people, Israel. Everybody's included, right? Everybody's included, all peoples. He distinguished between the two, a light to the Gentiles, and glory for Israel, And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. So he recognized. He looks at the child and he says, man, I recognize. I recognize. This should remind us of a couple of sections of scripture. We'll hit them real quick. Isaiah 52.10. Isaiah 52.10 says this. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Whenever the Bible talks about God saving, oftentimes it uses this phraseology. It uses this idea. The Lord has bared His arm. He's showing His arm. What's He saying? That it's God. He has the power to save. God has the power of salvation. The ability to save. So, we talk about this concept. The bearing of His arm. The next chapter in Isaiah. Isaiah 53 verse 1. Who has believed what he has heard from us? To whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? So it starts with two questions. First question, first part, God says, I'm going to bear my arm. In other words, you're going to be able to see. You're going to be able to see my arm. And then Isaiah 53 says, well, who has seen his arm? Who has seen the arm of the Lord? How do we know this arm of the Lord? What, What is the arm of the Lord? Now, just listen. For he... That's a personal pronoun. Grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of the dry ground. He had no form 
or majesty that we should look at Him. No beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, He was despised and we esteemed Him smitten by God and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. For all we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. So the Lord laid on Him the iniquity of us all. The arm of the Lord is a person. He's a person. And when we look at Isaiah 53, you look at the description, you probably know what person it is. No? Isaiah 53 is so well fulfilled in Christ that that it's mind-boggling. So when he says, my eyes have seen your salvation, he's saying, I've seen him. Here he is. This is the arm of the Lord. This baby, this child is him. This hymn, this is the hymn of Isaiah 53. This is the arm of Isaiah 52. This is God's ability to save. And then he also said, he's a light to the Gentiles. He's a light to the Gentiles. Isaiah 42 says, behold, my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I put my spirit upon him and he will bring forth justice to the goyim, to the nations, to the peoples. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard on the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established, established justice in the earth. The coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant, a promise for the people, a light to the goyim, the nations. He is a light to the nations. This is what Simeon is saying, man. He's saying, this child I'm holding in my arms. This is he. This is the one. This is the one. What do we see? Simeon glorifying God by his faith, trusting in God's word, moving by God's spirit, proclaiming God's word wherever he goes. And then he talks about his future. Look at this. In verse 34, Simeon blessed them. So he's looking at the parents. He blessed them. And then he said to Mary. Do you ever wonder why he did that? He blessed them together. And then he looks to Mary. He has a prophetic word for Mary. Why not for Joseph? Well, because Joseph's going to be gone. Joseph's not going to be there when Jesus dies on the cross. Joseph's not going to be there through the ministry of Jesus. So he looks to Mary and he said to Mary, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rise of many in Israel, and for a sign that is opposed. People are going to stand against him, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, 
so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. Now here's what most of us do with this. We say, yeah, he's telling her how Jesus is going to die and a sword is going to pierce her heart. Maybe he might be saying this. A lot of people are going to stumble over Jesus, Mary, and so will you. Somehow I think that weighed more on her than the cross. What do you mean? Well, we're going to look at Scripture that says Mary and Jesus' brothers try to stop him because he seems like he's a little crazy with this whole Messiah complex he's got going on. What do you call that? If it's not the cause of fall. Many will stumble over him. Many will trip over him. The Bible says that he's the chief of the corner, right? The chief cornerstone. There's only two possibilities. We fall on him, which indicates that we all are going to need to fall on him, and are broken. Or, he falls on us, and we're crushed. I'm going with the broken part. Broke seems better. When I fall down on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, what I'm declaring, like all of those Israelites before me that brought an offering to God, what I'm declaring when I fall on Jesus is, I'm broken. I'm a mess. I'm not worthy. I'm not trying to pretend I'm something. I'm not trying to say I'm better or be prideful. I'm just coming in humility with my face in the dirt. And He makes me whole. By His wounds, He makes me whole. He makes me complete. All those things that were done by a variety of different sacrifices at different times, all of those things find their fulfillment in Christ. And it's not always about sin. Sometimes it's just a reality that we're a mess. Sometimes it's a reality that we struggle. Sometimes it's a reality that I have a propensity to wander and not stay on the road I'm supposed to stay on. And I think when Simeon looks at Mary, he says, Mary... He's destined for the rise, or the fall and the rise of many. The cool thing is, we're all going to fall. We're not all going to rise. And I want to rise. Who are those who rise? Will you bow the knee to Jesus Christ? What's the next thing that happened after you bow the knee to the king? You bow the knee before the king, and he acknowledges you. And then what's he say? Stand up. Get up we got work to do. I don't want to be the king. I see the job of the king, I don't want it. I want to be an Indian. I want to be a guy who comes inside and says, Lord, what do you need me to do next? Where do I need to go? I don't need to have all the authority, don't need to have a crown, don't need to have a kingdom. There's one king. He's got it all, he can have it all, and he knows how to run it all. He is destined for the fall and the rise of many. And I think when he's talking about Mary, that's what he's referring to. Now, will a sword pierce through her soul, her very life? That sword's a two-edged sword. It's a big deal. It's not a little thing. Will that happen at the cross? Yeah, but I don't think for the same reason we think. I don't know about you, but when regret comes calling for me, it's my failures to my Christ that are the ones that, that are not His suffering... It's my failure. It's that he suffered and I failed. What, what was it that Peter cried over? His failure, right? 
And so he runs to Jesus Christ as his Savior. That's what we want to remember. That's what Peter did. He runs to Christ. He runs to Christ. Comes to Christ. (laughs) Doesn't seek another Savior. He comes to him. I think this is what he's referring to. In Isaiah 8, he lays this idea. And he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel. He's going to get them all. Everybody's going to trip over Jesus. A trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. And many shall stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken. They shall be snared and taken. So he's he's the stone that we trip over. He's the stone that we trip over. Romans 9, what does it say? Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works... They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. Whoever believes in Him. 1 Peter 2, 6-8 For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. They stumble because they disobey the word. What what part of the word? They didn't do something. What didn't they do? It's really simple. They didn't believe. To as many as believed, he gave the power to become the sons of God. To all who believed on his name. Lord, what must I do to do the works of God? Jesus said, believe on him whom the Father has sent. That's the work that God is looking for. He's looking for our faith, our belief, our trust. So Simeon speaks of Jesus' future. He says, he's going to be that stone of stumbling. He's going to bring offense, a sign. Many will be opposed to him. And I believe ultimately there will be a time when Mary is as well. And I think some of those things will come back to her remembrance later. And here's the beauty of it. God told her ahead of time. He said, look, this is going to happen. A sword will pierce your soul. But you're still mine. God's not requiring some kind of crazy perfection where we never stumble we never get it wrong we never mess up god is asking for faith and trust our belief our willingness to come to him and say i believe you you're right i'm wrong and so i i want to have that attitude i want to have that attitude that that simeon has why because he glorifies god by his faith by his faith he brings glory to him then we have the last one we'll look at today the last one's anna Anna glorifies God by her thankfulness. Look, at the same time, Simeon's done now, there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, so this one is an older lady, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, (coughs) worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. So here's an older lady 
who had been married for a brief period of time. Most people think she was married seven years. Her husband died, and the rest of the time she served at the temple. No, but the years fitting it all together is confusing, and it doesn't really change the story at all, so it doesn't matter. So we'll just go with she's 84. that work for everybody? Does it matter if I say she's 84, she's 103? Oh, it doesn't matter. We, it, she's, she's there. What's she doing is what matters. What is she doing? She's serving God. How's she serving God? She's worshiping. How does she worship? Fasting and prayer. Fasting and prayer. She's fasting and prayer. Jesus said, watch and pray. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. And that's what she's doing. She's there watching and praying night and day. And at that very hour, Simeon has done his thing. She's caught it. She's seen it. She begins to give thanks to God. She praises God. She glorifies God with her thankfulness. She thanks Him and speaks of Him the Messiah, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Everyone who is looking for Messiah, she's saying, Messiah's come, he's come, he's come, he's here, he's come. He is with us, he's there. She served God through worship, fasting, and prayer, but she glorified God when she thanked him. Thanking God. So we see, as we look through this section of Scripture, four ways we can glorify God. Like the shepherds, we can be a witness. Like Mary and Joseph, we can be obedient. Like Simeon, we can have faith. And like Anna, we can have thankfulness. All pictured for us in the birth of the Christ child. How we might glorify God as we look at the incredible story of his birth. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray.